Hey folks, we'd like to welcome you here to our Miller Christian Church online podcast. We are a Bible-based, non-denominational church located right here in central Nebraska. Along with this podcast, we offer our services through our YouTube channel as well, which can all be found on our website at millerchristianchurch.org. We appreciate you stopping by. Morning, and uh, welcome to this part of the service. We enjoyed that cake that you gave us two weeks ago. Remember last week we were at camp, and um, so I wasn't able to stand up and just tell you folks how wonderful that cake was. And uh, did I think of you when I was eating it? No. Uh, boy, was it good. So we praise the Lord, and uh, I thank the Lord again for His faithfulness to us in and through all these years. Anyway, we will be here next Sunday, but the following Sunday, first Sunday in April, April. <laughs> first Sunday in October, we're going to visit our baby daughter. Remember, we have five daughters, our baby daughter not really a baby. She's got four kids, but they live in Michigan, and um, he is a farmer. Farms about 1,500 to 2,000 acres of beans and corn. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Anyway, uh, so, but we will be here next Sunday, and we're going to, if the Lord uh, tarries again, uh, we're going to continue our study in Revelation so you should open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. And I do have a quiz for you today to see how sharp you are. Are we ready? We're kind of down in numbers today, so you're going to have to really think. Think here now. Here's the question. What belongs to you? But others use it more than you do. Where's Tiffany when you need her? <laughs> you give up? It's your name. Are you going to groan together now? Groan, 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 groan? Your name. It belongs to you, but others use it more than you do. Oh, you guys flunked on that, but that's okay. Revelation chapter 1. Notice you got two sheets today, and uh, that's because we're in uh, chapter 1, verse 7. <laughs> We're not going real fast here, but then we'll jump right into 8 and 9. Again, we're not going to go verse by verse, but you have to get the foundation of the book of Revelation and um, so that we can understand it. Never in my 48 years of ministry have I felt more, um, I guess, certain in my own heart and life and according to what I know of Scripture that we are living in the last days, the last days of the church. And um, we've been given a description of that in Second Timothy. Perilous times shall come, and then a whole list of things that are just so true today. If you've ever felt like <clears throat> our nation is unraveling, 
And uh, again, I've only been on this earth 71 years, roughly, and uh, but uh, I've never seen it quite like this in our nation and uh, and the world, for that matter. Uh, but if there's ever a time when the Christian should not be afraid, it's now. Because God fills us with his promises and directions in the scriptures. It should be an exciting time uh, to live for the Lord. There will be some challenges. We're going to have to love each other more than we've ever loved each other and not get hung up on dinky little things. Uh, we're going to have to... Uh, uh, do what we can for the kingdom by his strength and power and allow his spirit to control us, to uh, fill us with the fruit of the spirit, the love, joy, peace, uh, all, all nine of those things. These are last days, and that's why I've said we'll be in and out of Revelation so we understand uh, what's going on here. And uh, so... <clears throat> Uh, remember, we started off the book with a special blessing for those who study Revelation. Revelation 1.3 talks about that. And uh, we left off with uh, verse 5 and 6 last time. Uh, Unto him that loves us, present tense, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us a kingdom of priests. We talked about the priesthood of the believer. Unto God and His Father, and to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So, you got two sheets. Two for the price of one, eh? Are you grouchy today, or you can... <laughs> you know, you heard about the new minister that stood in the church door greeting, you know, like some pastors do, like I did for a million years. And uh, anyway... Uh, as they as they left the church, all these people, and he was greeting them, and most of the people were very generous and telling him how they uh, appreciated the message, and except for one man who said, uh, that was a very dull and boring message, Pastor. In a few minutes, the same man appeared again in line. And he said, I don't think you did any preparation for your message, Pastor. Once again, for the third time, the man, the man appeared in the line. This time, he said, you really blew it. You didn't have a thing to say, Pastor. Finally, the pastor could stand it no longer. He went over to one of the deacons, and he inquired about the man. Oh, don't let that guy bother you, said the deacon. He's a little slow. All he does is go around repeating whatever he hears other people are saying. That was another, just to see if you were awake. We are, and I'm going to read verse 6, And hath made us a kingdom of priests, and unto, unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. No, no, verse 7. Well, I can't believe I said amen. It's amen. Amen are usually for uh, churches that are have a lot of... Uh, pomp and circumstance, and, uh, uh, you know, we are who we are by the grace of God. Uh, I like amen, because that's just as, exactly what it is. Here's the first statement that we need to know as we begin to unfold and unpack this uh, these verses today. 
Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also who pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Now, is that speaking of the rapture? So, I guess what I want to do before we get into verse 8 and 9, I'll go ahead and read it. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, Jesus said, saith the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I can't wait to get there. So, uh, verse 9 I, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom of pa- uh, kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he was in, in banishment for being faithful to the Lord. I like that song about faithfulness uh, today. Take this sheet here. I gave you the answers. Isn't that nice? You can say amen too. Amen. Thank you. Some of the people, I mean, some good people think the rapture and the revelation, or which is another word for the second coming of Christ, are going to be in the same event. I think there's enough evidence in Scripture to say that that's not so. I don't believe that for a minute. Here's eight differences between the rapture of the church, which is that moment in time when the Lord comes back for his church, the bride of Christ. Every person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and has been born again, you're part of the body of Christ, you're part of the bride of Christ. And he's coming back for us. And there's plenty of rapture verses Uh, And, of course, the most famous one is the Thessalonian, where we will meet him in the air with a trumpet and a shout and the voice of the archangel and so on. And uh, and then, so we will ever be with the Lord. The dead in Christ shall rise first. In Christ. It all speaks of the church. The rapture belongs to the church. And the second coming is a little different. In verse 7, it says here, every eye... We'll see him. And they also who pierced him, who would that be? That would be Israel, the Jewish people. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail. Because this isn't going to be done in a corner. And the rapture will not be causing all kinds of wailing. It'll be called, it's the greatest reunion day there's ever been. So look at number one. Christ comes to the air, and uh, that's what happens in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17. I can read them, but I've read them to you before. That uh, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. When he comes back, when he his actual second coming, which... Revelation deals a great deal with he comes to the earth. And Zechariah tells about that. His feet will land on the Mount of Olives. Remember that? And uh, he will set up his kingdom and so on. Point two, Christ comes for the saints in the rapture. He comes with the saints 
at the second coming. And it'll be at that time that I will finally get on a horse again. Because we'll be riding horses according to uh, Revelation chapter 19. And uh, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 3.13, Jude 14, always, all tell about this second coming with the saints. The third difference would be the rapture is a mystery. That's a truth that was otherwise unknown in the Old Testament. They knew about the second coming. They did not know about the rapture. When you study prophecy, I wish I had my overhead, but I don't. Will you pretend this is an overhead for a minute? Somebody say amen. I don't even know if you're alive today. Thank you. Let's say there are four prophetic points in history. Major points, okay? You have a mountain here and a big valley. A mountain here, big valley, mountain here. You get the idea, right? So, one thing true about the Old Testament. The prophet prophesied about the own, his own time he was living in. That's the first mountain. And also prophesied about coming events. That's another mountain. But what he can't see is the valley. See? And Paul tells us all through the New Testament that the church is a mystery. It is a truth that was previously unknown, but is now made known. And so the rapture is a mystery. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. That's the rapture. Now, the revelation is not a mystery. It is a subject of many Old Testament prophecies. Number four, the rapture is never said to be preceded by signs in the heavens. No, it can happen at any minute. It's imminent. But Christ's coming is just the opposite. Lots of signs you can read about them in the Olivet Discourse when Jesus was teaching his disciples, Matthew 24 and 25. All kinds of signs in society, in the heavens, and, and on earth. And Number five, the rapture is identified with the day of Christ. The revelation is identified with the day of the Lord. Some say that's splitting hairs. We'll talk about that sometime. But look at number six. The rapture is presented as a time of blessing. Time of blessing. That's what Titus says, looking for that blessed hope. It'll be the... My wife and I sing that old Chuck Wagon song, Back When I Had a Voice. We used to sing that song, Glad Reunion Day. There will be a happy meeting in heaven someday when we see the many loved ones we've known here before gathered on the blessed hilltop with hearts all aglow. That will be a glad reunion day. When we live with Christ a million years, it'll seem but just a moment. Anyway, it's a time of blessing. We look forward to it. The main emphasis of the second coming is judgment. Judgment of the nations. The judgment of the tribulation period. And then number eight, the rapture involves the church 
That's what Jesus said in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You know, I go and prepare a place for you and so on. These other verses and the second coming or revelation primarily involves Israel and the Gentile nations. By the way, you hear a lot in our nation about globalism. Let me just tell you something about globalism and nationalism. God deals with nations. He has since uh, Genesis. In Genesis chapter 11. And, and nations. He deals with nations. He does not deal in a global. You know, there's only going to be one world government before Christ comes. You know who's going to run that? Do you know from Scripture? He's called the Antichrist. And... Uh, and slowly but surely, the world will be under the control of one government. Any bells ringing? See, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. So anyway, those are some differences. I just thought you'd like to know. And you probably knew anyway. Let's go take your second sheet, get your pencil out, and let's rumble. Jesus began verse 8. By saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the, er, and the end. The Alpha and Omega refers to the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. The first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. Do you remember? New Testament is written in Greek originally. Old Testament was written in uh, Hebrew originally, except for a few parts of Chaldean like Daniel and a few, a few of those, but mostly Hebrew. And the New Testament, all Greek, okay? Alpha and Omega, first and the last letter of the alphabet. And if you're still taking notes after that long line, I gave you long lines today. Uh, the beginning and the end. What does that mean to you as a Christian? Now remember, let's finish this line. God himself uttered these words. God himself uttered these words. Now Jesus says the same thing. You know, all these same titles go to Jesus Christ in Revelation 22:13 at the end of the book. So through this book, we are told, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and ending. Did it ever occur to you that nothing occurs to God? God has had this plan from the beginning. He knew man would rebel in Genesis 3. He already planned before the foundation of the world that His Son would be the Redeemer. It was first prophesied in Genesis 3.15. The Gospel goes all the way through to the end of the Bible. And Jesus Himself is deity, remember. He is God in the flesh. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So He is the one that could say, I am the beginning and the end. See, you and I only know a beginning and end. I knew when we were married 50 years ago. I knew that. That was the beginning. We haven't come to the end yet. And I'm not in a rush. But there's always a beginning and end. Just plant your garden and figure it out. 
But see, time means nothing to God. He is infinite. So, <clears throat> Jesus said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, who is, present tense, and who was, remember, he died and conquered death. And who is to come, the Almighty. Ah, you got to like that. So let's go back to our notes. He is the beginning of all revealed truth. That's our Lord and Savior. Regardless of the world and what it wants you to think of Jesus, He is the beginning of all revealed truth and of all the promises given. If you're still writing. All the promises given. Did you know how many promises there are in the Bible? There's a guy named Herbert Lochner that counted them. And he figured out there are 7,500 and some promises in the Bible. So he wrote a book called All the Promises in the Bible. And we used to sing a song when we were kids. Every promise in the book is mine. Every jot, every tittle, every line. Remember that song? No. Did you eat breakfast this morning? And see, every promise in the book is not mine. Some was made specifically uh, about judgments. Some was made specifically to Israel. Some was made to the church, to you and I. But he is the beginning of all real revealed truth and all the promises given. Anybody that you love ever break a promise? I told my I told my wife, my wife and I agreed on this that when and if the Lord blesses us with children, which he did, that we would never break our word to them. Never. And no matter how inconvenient, no matter what it costs, if we promise something, we have to follow through. Because the first thing a child sees when it comes to any knowledge of God is the parents. And, uh, and if they see a bad deal with us, and then it can, you know, you know the rest of the story. God does not break his promises. And all the promises, the promise that he'd never leave you, the promise that of eternal life, the promise of forgiveness of sins, the promise of taking care of your needs, the promise of answered prayer, though it may not be exactly what you like. God answers prayer. The promise is all in Scripture. Even the mankind, He gave promises to mankind that doesn't recognize Him. The promise of the rainbow. He'll never curse the earth with a universal flood again. I do not like it. There's a certain group in our country that has stolen the rainbow from us. The rainbow belongs to the promise that God made to everyone on earth and all living creatures. That's where it belongs. Hey, did you see the sunrise today? Okay, I'm not going to ask you any more questions today. Okay, let's finish this. He's also the end for everything finds its answer in Him. 
Everything finds its answer in him. I'm going to read to you a familiar verse, Isaiah 40 and verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. That's the God who loved you, sent his son to die in your place and to rise again, to offer you the gift of eternal life, to change your life, to anchor your marriage, to give you purpose in your life. That's the God that we're talking about. And everything finds its answer in him. Here he's called the Almighty. The Almighty. That's the Old Testament Hebrew word. Maybe you've heard this song, El Shaddai. El Shaddai. S-H-A-D-D-A-I if you're taking notes. And this is what it means. It means mighty or sufficient. Genesis 17.1, Abraham was 99 years old. Anybody here 99? Anybody here 89? Anybody here don't want to say how old you are? Oh, yeah, I said I wasn't going to ask you anything else. Oh, well. In Genesis 17.1, God appeared to Abraham when he was 99 years old. And he said, I am almighty God. And in the Hebrew, that means El Shaddai, or all-sufficient. All-sufficient. Why do people look for things outside? Even Christians, they want some other, they want to be zapped, or they want this, or they want that, and don't realize that in him is all-sufficiency. All the joy, all the purpose, all the meaning, all the comfort when you hurt. It means mighty or all-sufficient. The New Testament Greek word right here, almighty, there it is. If you can pronounce that, you get the banana today. But this is what it means. It means all-powerful, where we get our word omnipotent. All-powerful. Now, if you catch anything from all of this, write this down. Our God can do all things. Except fail. He can do anything except fail. Because he cannot deny himself or his holy character. Our God can do all things. When I look at the mess in our country and the mess in the world and what's happening, and I see the time clock and God's prophetic time clock ticking, I don't have to be afraid because I'm on the winning side. God Almighty, He can do all things. He's all-powerful. Can you imagine? He spoke, and the worlds were framed. He spoke. He created something out of nothing. When you get into the origin of things, science has no answer. No answer. And you know what else? 
Not only is he, can he do all things, the last part of that, all majesty and power belong to him. If you're still filling your notes out. All majesty and power belong to him. Aren't you glad? We don't have to be afraid of whoever's in office. We don't have to be afraid of a worldwide pestilence, which the scripture teaches. It's an interesting time that we live in. I know there have been pestilences in the past, but in modern times, something like what we're experiencing now, when we get to Revelation chapter 6, you might find some interesting things about the writers of the of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We don't have to be afraid of that. We want to do what's right. We want to, you know, you know, but uh, what I'm saying is we don't have to never do it does a Christian have to live in fear. All majesty and power belong to him. Praise God. I'm so thankful for that. He is awesome. He is all sufficient. He is all powerful. Do I have any Young kids that want to help me uh, sing a little song? Do some motions with me? Maybe you know this song. You kids know these songs? This song? My God is so big. No, maybe you can help me. Because that's what this is talking about. My God is so big. So strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are His, the valleys are His, the stars are His handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do for you. Hey, give these kids a hand. See, you're more alive than some of these adults out there. <laughs> That's what it's about. Almighty God. And as we go into Revelation, as we go into the last days, as we go into prophetic truth, you will know once again that God is in absolute total control. I do not understand a lot of things. I don't know why Christians suffer all the time. I don't know why there are things that happen. But God is in control. All I know is that the Lord has promised in Romans 8 that all things work together. Now, it doesn't say all good things. but All things work together for good to them who are the called according to his purpose. To them who love the Lord. God has his ear and his hand and his eye in these last days upon you, upon you. <coughs> and verse 9, I have another church to preach at, but you know, and they don't mind. I squeak a lot when I get up to Baroque. I squeak here. We come now to the first of the three great visions of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will not go through that today. But when we read verses 10 through 18, we will see him as the risen, glorified Son of God. And I'll repeat these things, walking in the midst of his church. We get to chapter 5 and through chapter 6, verse 1, we see him as the Lamb 
that was worthy. He's a slain lamb that was worthy, taking the seven-sealed scroll out of God's hand and begins to open it in the judgments during the great tribulation. And then in chapter 19, it shows him as the king of kings and lord of lords returning to the earth. In chapter 9, or in verse 9, he says, John, who am your brother? The neat thing about belonging to the family of God, you truly born again people can look at each other and say, you're my sister or you're my brother in Christ. It's a Greek word called brethren, uh, translated brethren. It means from the same spiritual womb. We're from the same family when we're saved. Companion in tribulation, we'll talk about that. And testifier. John was a testifier. What does that mean? Well, he is an ambassador for Christ, so are you. An ambassador is one who speaks for the president. You are speaking for the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.20, you are ambassadors for Christ. We have the gospel message. Don't be afraid. It's an exciting time to live. And remember all the promises of God through this time. And he never has gone back on his word. Would you stand with me and sing the closing song? Standing on the promises of God.